but we didn't set that goal. It's just that after we set the original goal, it just got easier and easier to buy these properties. It's almost like when you get in the business of doing it, you find more opportunities, you know what you're looking for. To me, the hardest of anything is, is the first one or the first few at least. You know, then it was just about waking up and, and being the best we could be in that arena every day. You know, how do we be the best investors? You know, how do we make that a business? Hi, you're listening to That Really Happened, Unbelievable Real Estate Stories. I'm your host, Ellie Perlman. If you're a real estate investor, this is the podcast for you. Our guest speakers will bring you amazing, intriguing, and unbelievable stories about real estate investing. The stories will be an honest and transparent account about what it actually means to invest in real estate. You'll hear stories that investors don't usually share. Stories about hardships, breaking points, painful truths, and surprising realizations. Sometimes there's a happy ending, and sometimes the story ends very differently than you would expect. So let's get the show started. Hello and welcome to That Really Happened. I'm your host, Ellie Perlman. When I'm not behind the mic, I buy multifamily properties and help investors like yourself join me on all my deals so they can get double-digit returns without the need to find, negotiate, close, and manage the properties. If you enjoyed the podcast, please take a minute and rate it. A five-star rating is highly appreciated, and that's important for me and my team. Show us some love. It encourages us to keep going. You, of course, can always go to my website and read more about it and read the show notes at www.elliepearlman.com. And today I'm hosting Linda McKessick, an entrepreneur, best-selling author, business coach, trainer, and a highly regarded speaker. Linda is the operating principal for the Ohio Valley region for Keller Williams International and owns the multiple Keller Williams franchises. Her career in real estate began in the early 80s and her real estate team McKissick Realty Group sells over 60 million in volume and closes over 300 properties each year. She has gone on to create five successful businesses, one of which includes ATPL, a consulting and speaking business designed to teach and coach real estate professionals and entrepreneurs around the country. Linda was the co-author of the national bestseller Hold, How to Find, Buy, and Rent Homes to Build Wealth, which I personally read and, and enjoyed reading a lot. And recently, Linda was featured on one of the top 10 business blogs, Entrepreneur on Fire. Her greatest passion is helping the successful but overworked entrepreneur understands the power of leverage and passive income in their lives. Linda's story is remarkable because it's about how she decided to set a goal of making $250,000 in passive income while she was $600,000 in debt and had no money and no credit. Hey, Linda, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ellie. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think a lot of people who are interested in starting in real estate don't have a lot of money or any, and I'm not even going to start talking about the credit situation. And it's, I think your story is going to be very inspirational to others who, who want to get in the game and start investing, but don't even know how they can do that without any money. So can you take us back to that time where you were 
you know, 600,000 in debt and maybe even before that. And tell us, how did you end up with such a huge debt? Yeah, absolutely. Well, the year was 1986 and my husband was in the restaurant and nightclub business. And I always like to say I was 23 years old and I didn't even know what the word economy meant, much less whether it was a good one or a bad one. But I began to notice that my husband was extremely stressed out and he wouldn't want to go to bed at night. And we would laugh because later he would say, the reason I didn't want to go to bed is because if you go to bed, morning comes too quick and morning is when the bankers start calling. And so he would eventually just kind of be transparent with me and say, you know, we're $600,000 upside down in debt. And, you know, again, I didn't even know how much 600,000 was. And I think that was kind of a blessing because when you don't know how much in the hole you are, you don't, you know, you probably don't get stricken by fear. And so the first thing he did was he suggested that I go to work in real estate and I start selling to try to help him get out of that debt. And along the way, I always say there's always a blessing in your trials and tribulations if you give it long enough. In other words, it's really hard to see the blessing when you're in the middle of it. I always say it's not a marriage enriching time when you're in financial troubles. You don't say nice things to your spouse and you usually have a lot of arguments around money. So that builds up a lot of pain about being in that situation. And so when I look back, it was a very stressful and hard time for both of us but a lot of blessings came out of it. What came out of it is I got a career that would really create cash flow for us. But I also got the ideas and the thoughts that we wanted to figure out what people in the world didn't have to go through those situations. And we didn't want to go through it again. So if we, if we were going to get out of debt and then figure out how to never get back in that place, what books would we need to read? What people would we need to study? Who were the people that this didn't happen to, right? And so that led us to books. The first book we ran across was a book called Cashflow Quadrant by Robert mm -hmm. Kiyosaki. Most people have read that. I always say everybody reads Rich Dad, Poor Dad, but it's the Cashflow Quadrant that gave us the answers. And he just basically exactly. said, wealthy people make their money through businesses, real estate, or stocks. And so I love when complicated things get simple. And so because of that, that made us realize what's the easiest, most natural one of those that we could possibly do. <laughs> we didn't know how to do any of them, but we knew if we were going to start, which one would be the easiest and that's the one we should start with. And so I always say, I think for anyone, real estate is the, is the easiest first step to building wealth for almost anybody. And so that being said, we set a goal. My husband and I said, how much money if passive money is the goal, if that's the people that don't have to worry about ups and downs and market disruptors and economies crashing and all that stuff, we need to make cash flow to live, but we need to go create passive income for the future and to protect ourselves from those kind of situations. And so we said, well, we'll try real estate. You know, that's got to be the easiest one of the three. And so because of that, we set a goal immediately to make two, we, we decided our freedom number was 250,000. If we could make 250,000 come in, no matter what we did every day, that that would give us the security and, and put us in that position. So that being said, we worked the formula backwards and figured out for our area, we'd need to buy 20 properties. We'd need to buy them in the next five years and take 15 years to pay them off. And they needed a cash flow when they were paid off about a thousand dollars a month. So that was our original plan. And so I'm the kind of person when you set a plan and a goal, nothing should get in your way from doing that. You should want that bad enough that you figure it out. And so very quickly, I went and found a property, came home to my husband. I was all excited and said, I found a property we can buy. I think we'll make $15,000 if we flip it because at the time we, we weren't 
caring whether we flipped or or whether we held, you know, ultimately our strategy has been hold, but then mm -hmm. we didn't care. We just needed money. And so right. I said, great, we'll buy this property. I think we'll make $15,000. And my husband looked at me and said, that's great, Linda. But do you realize we have no credit? We can't go to the banks. We owe them a bunch of money and we don't have any cash in case you haven't noticed. And so like I do most things, I kind of went to bed that night. I thought about what would be a solution. What, how could we do it? There's a million ways you can't, but what would be a way you could? And I immediately thought of a builder that had been a client of mine. And I said, I think if I go to Lou Craft and I just ask him, I think he'll put up the credit, he'll buy, he'll put up the money and he'll do the repairs. And so that's what we did. And he helped us with our first three properties. And that's the help and the launch that we needed because we were willing to do the hard work. He was willing to do the rest. And so I always say, you know, there is always a way. If you want something bad enough, there is always a way you can do it. But I think the pain of staying where you are has to be greater than the fear of you taking the step and doing it, quite honestly. And yeah, so that's kind of how we, that's how we did it. And the he did the first three with us. And then after that, we started doing them on our own. And sometimes we do them with partners and sometimes we don't. Mm -hmm. So you, you went to bed and you were thinking, I want to just go back to that moment. You went to bed and you were thinking, okay, I found the great deal. I know I can make money there, but I can't buy it. What was the price? on that uh, oh, property. Oh, that's a really good question. I don't remember that. You remember the price on that house? I don't remember the price on the house, to be honest with you. <laughs> um, I'm, we, yeah, it had to be, back then the market was so low. That would have been 1980, no, it would have been 1993. Yeah. So it would have probably been 70, 80,000 maybe. Mm -hmm. I mean, the prices right. were super low back then. Almost all of our properties that we bought when we were scared to death to buy things have tripled in value now. Of course, the economy is so good. The real estate market is so good. But back then, it seemed like a ton of money. Mm -hmm. You know, so I don't care when you buy. It's always yeah. going to seem like a lot. And it's going to seem like more than you, than you actually probably have to get started. Yeah, absolutely. And what was the developer's response when you went to him and you said, what was his name Lou? Lou Craft. Uh -huh. Lou Craft. So when you say Lou... I have an idea. I think I'm going to flip this house. I didn't really do it. I mean, I don't know. I don't want to put any words in your mouth. If, if you can just, you know, describe the conversation and what you felt when you actually reached out to him. Well, the first thing that had to happen is, you know, I think there's always fear when there's rejection that could be involved. Mm -hmm. But I knew Lou well enough and he knew me well enough. And I think that if you're going to pick people to be a partner with you in real estate, there has to be trust. You have to know how that person responds to money. And so the things I knew about Lou is Lou was okay if I made money and I knew he laid awake at night and worried about me making money on his deals. And I laid awake at night and worried about him making money. And so I think the most important thing is, is it somebody you already kind of know and you trust and you feel that they've got integrity? And I knew those things about Lou. I just didn't know if he would say yes or no. And I think because he had that mutual trust for me, he wasn't probably even really sure if I was right or not right, but he trusted me enough to say, sure, I'll do that. And then we wound up doing two more after that one. And, you know, funny story, the very first one we bought, eventually we split our partnership with Lou. And because he was so generous to, to be the person that, you know, trusted us to do that, mm -hmm. we went to him and said, the first one we did flip, we did make exactly 15. And then another one, which was an RTC property came on the market that was exactly $15,000, exactly. And someone in my office let me know about it. It was dilapidated, but he said, I think I can turn it into a fourplex. 
when we got ready to split our properties, we said, Lou, which one do you want? You get first pick because without you, we wouldn't be where we are. And so he picked the second one we bought that we held on to. And the first one today brings in more money to us passively than my husband's social security for working over 40 years of his life. Wow. <laughs> so that's how powerful one brave step can change everything for you. If you, if you have the courage to figure out a way and ask who or whatever you need to ask to make it happen. That's pretty amazing. And, you know, I think being creative and having, you know, and just take that step and, and not be afraid because I think a lot of people are, when they're trying to reach out or trying to do something new, they sometimes, their fear of rejection, like you mentioned earlier, is something that prevents them from doing it, from, from actually taking that step. So I, I think that was a great story about, you know, how to think creatively and how to dare and just see, you know, what's going to happen. And I think you're absolutely right when, you know, you're talking about trust. Having trust is key because without it, you can't, you can't build anything. And Especially you if you're going to do partnerships that. because yeah. partnerships are extremely difficult. And they, mm -hmm. if you have a bad one, they'll give you extremely bad taste in your mouth. Mm -hmm. But if you have great ones, then everybody benefits. Everybody wins. His life got better and our life got better. And we kind of built a bridge for each other because he had really done nothing to build his wealth either. And so sometimes two people that want the same common goal will work better together than, you know, doing it on their own. And so that was the, the, the case for Lou with us and us with Lou. We needed Lou and, you know, he needed us. He hadn't done anything like that either. So we needed each other. And, you know, anything great in life, any point in our life where we've really made a commitment that was really, really scary, those are the ones that really change your life in a massive way, mm -hmm. you know. And the reason they're scary is because usually when we make the commitment, we don't know how in the world we're going to pull that off we really didn't know how we were going to pull that off. We just knew that we were going to figure out how to make that much money passively coming in. That's why I always say if you can, if you can connect to maybe the pain of what your future looks like, if you don't create this passive income, I had a lady tell us one time, our kids grew up together and they were educators and she was, you know, worked at the college. And I remember her saying to me, gosh, you buy all this real estate. Isn't it a headache? to have all these tenants. And I laughed and I said, you know what would be a bigger headache to me is to grow old and not have enough money to live longer than the money I had prepared for. To me, that would really be worse. And so I think so many people live in the moment or what am I going to get right now? Or how much money do I make at my job? They're not thinking 20 years from now. That's a hard place to go to and think about what would happen. You know, I believe we're going to do a better job of extending our lives better than we are creating our knowledge of finances to have enough money as long as we're going to live. You know, they're doing great things in the wellness industry, but if we don't have enough money, that would be a very poor quality of life. And some of our family members and friends are going to need a leg up or a hand up. And if we don't have that extra passive income stream or that right. extra freedom of money, we just won't be able to do it. Whatever happened to Lou? Unfortunately, Lou passed away. I don't know what happened. I don't know if his sons kept the house. I think they did. Mm -hmm. I think he it passed it down to, he had two boys. One of them worked with him in the business. So I think one of them or both of them share the house. I don't really know what happened there, but unfortunately Lou was already older. He had actually moved from Chicago and I had cold called on him when he was a new builder in our area. And we just made a great 
you know, connection and partnership and friendship and business acquaintance, you know, as he was, because I, I liked him and he liked my work ethic. And, but he eventually, unfortunately, passed away. Got it. So you don't know if he ever continued to doing or partnering with others after you guys. Yeah, not to my knowledge. They might have built some and kept them. Not Mm -hmm. to my knowledge, though. Interesting. All right. So once you and and your husband, you know, you figured out that you can be independent and and independently invest in real estate, you continue to using the same formula. You bought houses, you fixed them, and then you flipped them. So when was, because I'm particularly interested in, in that switch between the fix and flips and, you know, the buying and holding on property similar to your book uh, that talks about the buy and hold strategy. So what happened there? What was, or I mean, are you still flipping homes or are you only buying and holding? We occasionally flip. Majority, Mm -hmm. we have over a hundred and something single family homes. We have 18 vacation rentals. Our long-term strategy has always been to hold because we really realized that we were in our peak earning years when we started doing this. So cash flow is not what we needed more of. We needed money Mm -hmm. 20 years from now or 15 years from now when we wanted the freedom of either not working as hard or not working at all, or if something would happen, unfortunately, you never know. So that just became our plan and we just stuck with it. Have we flipped? Yeah, occasionally if the property's too expensive, we think for a hold uh, because when the market gets good, the upper end houses, people will go buy houses, right? There's a sweet spot in every market that there's always people looking to rent. So we try to stay in that, but every once in a while we'll run across a good deal. And with the economy and the market being really good right now, we've probably flipped a few more with our partner who took over our real estate team. We probably flip a little bit more with him because a lot of what he's finding is properties that they don't work as well as rentals. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Got it. Did you ever think that you would, that the business would grow as much as it is today, that you're going to hold so many properties and, and keep doing that for years, you know, after you planned, you made this crazy quote unquote plan to, you know, to get out of debt and, and to have, and to make 250,000 in passive income? Yeah, no. And it's funny because we've never set a new goal in the investing arena. So I always say for me personally, this is what works for me. I need to set a goal and a plan because Mm -hmm. that's what gets me started. You know, now it's when all of our properties are paid off and we probably have about half of them paid off when they're all paid off, it'll be $146,000 a month coming in. But we didn't set that goal. It's just that after we set the original goal, it just got easier and easier to buy these properties. It's almost like when you get in the business of doing it, you find more opportunities, you know mm-hmm. what you're looking for. To me, the hardest of anything is, is the first one or the first few at least. You know, Then it was just about waking up and, and being the best we could be in that arena every day. You know, how do we be the best investors? You know, how do we make that a business? And so it kind of just evolved by itself it wasn't a plan to us to have a hundred and something properties and I always laugh and say, I wish somebody would write the next book, you know, because <laughs> you know, it's been real tempting to sell in this economy. Cause I mean, sometimes we could triple our, our dollars on our homes, but again, we wanted a passive stream of income that we, that would sustain the lifestyle that we like. And so we've just kind of kept that because other things like Keller Williams profit share and Keller Williams offices have now come through for us. And so they're, 
creating great, great cash flow and passive income. But I, I don't think we ever set out to say, oh, we're going to own hundreds of homes. No, the only plan we ever had was the 20 homes, buy them in five years, pay them off in, in the total of about then would be 20 years and make sure they each cash flow a thousand dollars a month when they're paid off. That was our only plan. So I think the rest of it, it just becomes easier to do. The more you do it, the easier it becomes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned earlier that the first deal is the hardest. Do you remember your, your first buy and hold deal? Yeah, well, the buy and hold, the first one was the second one we bought with Lou. And to be honest with you, it was probably, they were all scary because we didn't know anything. You know, we hoped we were making a good decision, but we're very, we're pretty conservative people. And we, we saw a lot of people lose all their money in the late eighties in Texas because they were over leveraged. So we knew that we couldn't be over leveraged, which is kind of the starting of how we built our principles for the whole book, you know, never be over leveraged, always 70 to 30 loan to value ratio. It's a good deal when you buy it, not later. If you buy anything, assuming it's going to be a good deal, that's not really being an investor. That's really being a speculator. And right. because we had lost everything, I think that protected us from being willing to be a, a speculator because that's too risky. So I think the part that was scary was, we were already living on the edge and we owed a lot of people a lot of money. And we have a really big thing that we don't believe in owing people that money and not paying them back. So ultimately we had to pay all those people back and we were taking on more debt at the time. So all of that can get a little bit scary. But again, I think once you kind of get some basic principles down that we don't buy anything unless it's a good deal, you know, we have 70 to 30 loan to value ratio at all times. If that means we got to put more money down, we do. Once you kind of get some of those basic principles, a little bit of the fear goes away. You know, it, it's not as scary because you're not taking big risk. Right, right. And the question that I also wanted to ask you, the 100 plus homes that you own, are they all in your backyard? We bought two in Florida. Mm -hmm. My husband stayed up late one night and the little man with the ponytail on TV got him. I always said, I cannot leave him up alone at night, but they were okay deals. They weren't bad. We yeah. didn't lose any money on them or anything. And we're just now selling the second one of those. And the only reason we bought those in Port Charlotte, Florida was because his niece lived there. And I had said to my husband, when she came to visit over the summer, she was a retired police dispatcher. I said, she mm -hmm. would be a great property manager. So we bought it. He bought a couple yeah. properties while I was sleeping and then she managed them for us. So we, we're selling that one now. Other than our Branson vacation retreats, everything we have is within about a 40 minutes radius of us or less. So yes, they all are in our backyard because that just was easier. It was less risk. The only way we will buy in another market is if we have a key person that we trust and value that could oversee them for us. Otherwise, we stay as close as we can where our people actually do that for us. All right, great. Well, thank you for sharing You know your story of how you got out of debt and without credit or money, found a creative way to partner with those who, who actually had those two things and were on your way to make an impressive passive income sounds like there was a lot of discipline and also outside of the box thinking. And I think it's a great story, very inspiring for others who wish to start in real estate and unsure how to do it. So I think that was, that was a great story. And uh, I'm going to ask you a question. I'm asking all my guests, if you could look back and, and just give an advice, piece of advice to your 20 year old self, what would you say? Oh, wow. You know, I would probably say, 
take more risk. They need to be calculated risk, but work hard while you're in your cash flow earning years, but take that money and do something besides spend it because our, our back end parts of our lives are going to get longer and longer and longer. So now's the time for most people when you're in your peak earning years, if you're not, you can change anything within a five year, great steady focus. So no matter where you are, what age you are, you know, you can change any financial situation you're in, in a good solid five years of a, figuring it out and making it happen. But if you were, if it was me in my twenties, I would say, man, work hard and make as much money as you can, but use that money to create you leverage and freedom for your future because your future is going to be longer than you think and it's going to be here faster than you think. Awesome advice. Thank you for sharing that with us. Linda, where can people find you? Well, I do have a website. It's lindamckissick.com and you're welcome to go there. And we, we uh, do things like put stuff up or if we you know, have good ideas. We'll put some things up there for people to share with people. And then, you know, if you want to read more about our strategies and how to do it, you can always pick up our book hold and, and read our full story and, and get a very simple plan. And I always say, if we can do this, anybody in the world out there can do this. We're not, you know, we don't know the complicated formulas and we don't pay attention. I always say, if I can't scratch it out on a piece of paper, I don't do it. And so, you don't have to have any superpowers or super knowledge. You just have to have a drive and a will and a desire and a reason for doing it. But anybody can do this if we can. All right. Great. Thank you, Linda, so much for being on the show and sharing your amazing experience, your story, and your huge inspiration. I know that people are going to get a lot of value from your story. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you, Ellie. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.